Um, hey, what's going on? No Bad Dog Army, fired up as ever. Uh, hope you guys are well. I've just uh, been fired up, man. Ever since we got back from London, I'm like, man, I want to keep going bigger, bigger, bigger. We're about to hit the road on tour. I cannot wait to go on tour to meet some of you guys. Um, again, like audit spots are available. You guys can come out. You can pay to watch me work. And we're doing a meet and greet every single venue from 5.30 to 6.30. Make sure you turn on your notifications on Instagram. I want you guys to come out. We got specific tour merch that only you can exclusively buy on this 2022 tour. And we got a bunch of new releases we're bringing on a tour as well as equipment, leashes, um, obviously, you know, taking pictures of me, asking me dog training questions. I want as many people to come out to this tour. Uh, I know some of these dates uh, are going to be in the middle of the week, so I know not everybody could come out. They got lives of their own, but... I'd be really uh, grateful and appreciative, uh, and I'd love to meet you guys. This is this is literally like we're not making money on this tour. I've already we've already scratched that. This is for me to come out to meet you guys. For years, it's been like come here, come here, come there, come do this. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just go out. Let's hit the road. Let's take all of our workshop seminar money, dump it into a gigantic entertaining tour bus with uh, five people on staff, and hit the road. Create some good content and meet the No Bad Dog Army. As always, I'm going to be answering your dog training questions at the end of this podcast. So make sure you guys leave a review. This is absolutely for free. I spent a lot of time editing and putting this out and doing the captions and doing everything. So do me a solid favor. If you guys have found this valuable, go over and leave a review wherever you listen to this. I would really appreciate it. Again, tour courses, everything is in the description below. Can't wait to see you guys on the road. And let's get into the podcast. I think I'm going to try to, um, anyways, um, I'm, I'm trying to write everything down as we go. Um, sure. Let me know how this usually works. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just, uh, yeah, that works fine. You can just let me know, you know, what's going on, the questions, concerns you have with your dog, and do my best to walk you through. Dogs, <laughs> I'll do my best to walk you through what we need to do to get you guys in better shape. Awesome. I appreciate it. This is a huge, huge opportunity. I've been um, following you for a few years now and uh, and just have a huge uh, admiration and appreciation for this. So I'm, I'm hoping we can do this because, of course, I mean, we love our dogs. So... Um, Max is a three-year-old um, European Shepherd Bernese. Um, he's been with us since he was a puppy, and he's our steady Eddie. He gets along with other dogs. He he listens. He's um, he loves kids too much. Um, we're always having to get him to you know back down, back off, because he'll just love him to death if uh, if he could. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, he's great. He, um, I mean, I can certainly work on his barking a bit, but, um, all in all, he's, uh, he's, he's lovely. <clears throat> we rescued Buddy about a year and a half ago. Um, he's been in our lives since he was a puppy, but, um, he was with, uh, his owner who, uh, had brain cancer and could not handle, mm. um, but he is an Aussie Shepherd, um, and uh, just a lot of energy. Um, he's a he's, you know, like all of them, he's a good dog. But 
he is reactive and he he is um he'll um we we worked on kind of his um herding instincts mm-hmm. um to this day we have grandkids and um uh, you know other kids small children around the house constantly and um if one's on the other side of like the sliding door buddy will actually like nip to to towards their face and okay. we're working on it but um uh, he, he will still do that occasionally but the reason for my call is um they just kind of out of the blue and I know you'll argue that and that's why I called mm-hmm. um out of the blue started fighting Max and and Buddy um it started about 6 months ago um they were just and I mean we used to leave them alone all the time you know if we went out we'd leave them in the house if uh, or or we'd leave them in the backyard and um they they played really well um and one day they were playing and somebody took it too far and and uh, it escalated immediately into a scrap uh, fortunately uh, both my husband and I were there and were able to pull them apart but from that point buddy just kind of i don't know got this kind of local thing mm-hmm. um Max outweighs Buddy by over 10 pounds. Max is about 60-ish, and Buddy's just less than 50. Um, but, uh, of course, buddy, Buddy's just kind of relentless. Um, so that was the first one. And then it was like a good month and a half later, and I think it was maybe resource guarding at that time, um, you know, just someone wasn't letting up and so they went at it again it was like a month and a half before the next one and I think that was resource guarding over food because uh, we do we do cooked in the morning and raw um, at night and I mean when it's raw they like Max especially he's um, he doesn't resource guard anything and, and he never has but um with raw, he uh, he has, and I think it was that time with that. So then the last two times, um, uh, a, a week ago, had had the family here, our grown kids, and their young kids, mm-hmm. and uh, we're currently watching a dog for a friend. Um, everyone gets along with Charlie, and that's fine. Um, my son's dog was also here, no problem. Just. Max and Buddy got into a row over a toy, and uh, it just escalated immediately. No, no, no signs that I could see because it just happened so fast. So it wasn't, you know, yep. like shackles and tails and ears and licking and nothing like that. Um, so they got into a- another row. Fortunately, we were here, got to pull them apart, and then from there, Max was just he was skittish for for days the the whale eyes and the he'd go in a corner like facing the corner away from everything and everyone um we we all sleep together the dogs sleep on our beds um and he just he was not coming on the bed um mm-hmm. even to go out 
his buddy was in the uh, in the area. He just he wanted to avoid it, but of course, I mean, he's got to go out, so I had to pretty much drag him out. Um, so the last one was Saturday morning. I, everything's fine. My husband's coming up the stairs, um, you know, so we can have coffee together. And I mean, I don't even know what happened, but um, I think Buddy got into Max's face. And just that kind of excitement, husband's coming up, they're happy, and they just went at it again. Well, both of us are there. I jumped jumped up to, to grab Buddy. My husband grabs Max, and we could we were hard-pressed to pull them apart. They were just adamant about going after each other. Finally pulled them apart, but um, kind of like the linesman at the hockey game, my, my husband just kind of released just enough for Max to go again. And he went after Buddy face, actually punctured kind of the top of his head and just under his eye, big scratch. Um, and it was like just the most most vicious it's been. And so since Saturday morning, we've just kept them pretty much apart. It's, we've we've let them just kind of be be free at night when we go to bed and it's, and it's worked so far. Other than that, we just, we just keep them separate, um, you know, one in one room or one upstairs, one downstairs or on a leash or what have you. I'll walk them. Um, I'll walk them on leash and, um, um, they, they, they do, they do well. But uh, other than that, I mean, you know, no, nobody wants to live this way. And I just, I don't know what to do. I don't trust them. My 83-year-old mom lives with us. Our young grandkids from nine months to five years are stay with us often. And um, I'm just, I'm uh, nervous, you know, it, it happening around them or yeah. I, I just... I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. It's a. Uh, sounds like it's a. It's a scary uh, situation. I think. I think it's all warranted as far as you know why it's scary and. You know, I've I've had these situations happen before. I've seen it personally with friends' dogs, family members' dogs, clients' dogs, and typically it it does create sometimes over food and value which it sounds like the majority of the incidences that's that's exactly what it is um there's either a toy involved there's food involved there's attention involved it's you are getting close and impeding on something that i want and i'm gonna fight you over it and so it's probably that and i have found over time that once dogs kind of have this relationship with each other and they go after each other like this in a serious manner it's I've never seen it flip back the other way where it's never happened again. Um, with that being said, I think a lot of your goal should be figuring out how to manage a situation. Cause it just sounds like to me, you're not taking the proper precautions to make it as successful as it could be. It's kind of just this, hopefully it doesn't happen again. And if it does, we'll break it up. Like, I think that there's got to be a lot more structure involved in order for these guys to live with each other safely. 
mm-hmm. and that that's honestly the the question at the end of the the end of the day, regardless of what you and I talk about for the next hour or whatever, is if you want to put in that work. That's really what it comes down to, because you're not gonna flip a switch on these guys and all of a sudden they don't that'll never happen again or they're not whale aliening each other or they're not looking for opportunities to fight i think that that's always going to be part of what they're doing you just have to decide you know how much management you want to do and it sounds like you have a lot going on like you have a lot of family in and out friends dogs etc and again i think the real question is not going to have anything to do with the dogs it's going to be on what you and your family want to do. That's just like a, uh, a roll up of what I'm hearing. Does that make, does that make sense? They were, they they were the best of friends. They, they played so well together and then kind of, you know, when you, when you rescue a dog or adopt a dog and, and it it goes so well, you're like, bonus. We were thrilled. Yeah. So let me just back up a little bit. Max is three years old now. Correct. And then Buddy is... What's that? Buddy is... Both dogs are neutered. Uh, Buddy is two. Okay. um, Yeah. So sometimes, too, uh, maturity has... Okay, let me give you an example. I I have seen this with my in-laws' dogs recently and so they have been watch uh they basically are fostering a dog and they have two personal dogs and the dog that they're fostering in this personal dog had known each other since they were puppies so the person that they're fostering for has is is a is a part of their family right so similar situation and one day this the dog that they're fostering turned and looked at one of their dogs and just attacked him randomly like there was nothing they just they he just attacked him and they've basically been dealing with fights on and off now for three months now i mean every time that we go over there's a new cut on one of the dogs and they're just getting into it they just don't get along anymore so I can tell you from personal experience firsthand, knowing that there's no real, other than normal pet stuff of probably just giving the dogs too much attention in the first place, but that's just what a lot of people do anyway. Um, you know, I, I've just seen it. So it does happen, and I understand that it's frustrating and sad and all of that, but the reality is is there's a lot of structure that is lacking and and so my point is is who knows why it's happening i don't know but sometimes there's a maturity thing that happens too where dogs hit a certain age i've seen that with my personal dogs as well my i've said this many times before but my saint bernard who passed away this no, this last november so almost a year now next month i had him since he was 12 or i'm sorry i've had him he lived until 12 i had him since he was a puppy and he he could be in doggy daycare up until about he was like five, five or six. And then all of a sudden, a, a switch hit on and he didn't like dogs anymore. And that was it. And it wasn't a training thing. It was a 
probably a breed thing, maybe a genetics thing, maybe him being intact. I don't know. But my point is, is I'm telling you two situations of like my personal dog. I wasn't going to be like, oh, let's train this. Let's work on this. I knew that that wasn't going to happen. He didn't like dogs. And for me to expose him to other dogs just on a limb is irresponsible and unfair and unethical to the other dog and my dog. So he was around other dogs for the next six, seven years of his life, almost every day. But that was it. I, he was never going to, so he was never going to be okay with dogs, but also there was a switch that just happened overnight. And I'm not going to sit here and try to ponder on why life does certain things to us, but it was an inconvenience, but uh, that was about it. And then again, same thing with my in-laws dogs. They've known each other since they were puppies. All of a sudden, boom, they just, I don't, I, I don't know. We, nobody knows. And they've, they've, but now they can be on and off. Like they could be next to each other. They can be in the house with each other. They can be left alone with each other, but there's just these random times where they just, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's both. So I've seen these things. Because nobody wants their dogs to do that. Right. But like, you know, yeah. So there's, that's what I'm saying is, is there's that, that, that's, that, that's why I went directly for the real answer that I know that you're searching for. And it's like, what do you do? And I think again, management is something that you'll have to, to do in order for these guys to be successful. I'm going to go over some managing, uh, expectations, realities, and, uh, some sort of, um, what does that look like for you? But again, when, just historically speaking, personally and with my clients' dogs, once dogs, it's the same thing with people. It's the same thing. It, I don't care how much therapy you do with each other or how much you spend time with each other. If somebody punches you in your nose and you're bleeding from your nose, your relationship with that person is different forever. You'll never get back that that same relationship. I've had friends like that. Like, we just get into scuff you know when we were kids and it's just it's just how it is it's just behavior i think in general like you create a relationship with this person and you think this way about them same thing with dogs i think they had a great relationship and then all of a sudden one dog went after the other and now their relationship has changed and i think again the biggest highlights from the things that you've told me uh, were about uh, some sort of resource does that make sense? Yeah, I, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what about trusting them moving forward? What What am I? What do you do? I <laughs> yeah, so I think I would, you just, see, I, I can tell by talking to you and like your personality, you, you seem like a very kind welcome person that just wants like you know like people like we want things to just go right and we assume that just things are going to work out because people are people and dogs are going to make the right decision and you know sometimes it doesn't you just seem and sound like a very warm inviting person and I think very nurturing is what I'm hearing from you and I think that if you don't kind of put your foot down and say like, Hey, we got to make some changes around here. Unless these guys aren't going to be able to live with each other safely, then you're going to be 
kind of walking on eggshells and I, you know, I just can't see you like, you're not the type of personality that would do that. So, and I don't know you, I'm just, I'm saying like, this is what I'm reading from, from what, what you're the way that we're talking now. I think you have a couple different options. I think there's the option of, there's two things is I think that the bandaid could be ripped off by two ways. The first way is you start adding structure to these dogs' lives, which they probably don't have a lot of now. That's the first thing is like you're going to see incredible changes and differences in the dog's behavior once you do that. It's kind of like this, well, did you put gas in it? It's like, oh, no, I forgot about that. For an engine type thing, it's like that's like the number one thing when you have dogs that are starting, let's just say kids, Right. Think about two kids that are starting to now really get aggressive with one another, two siblings. You know, they're just, you know, it's not an everyday thing, but they're starting to really fist fight each other, hurt each other. You really have to make sure as a parent or somebody in charge that you can say when I'm, you know, when this isn't happening, you go over here, you go over here. And there isn't talking back and there isn't fists continuing to be thrown and we're not spitting across the room. It's I respect the person that's telling me what to do more than I care about going after the other thing. Do you understand? So that's why a lot of people that don't have control, boundaries, foundation, even fear, there's this fear point of view in in having a relationship with a dog that so many people are manipulated by marketing that you should never have, which is just manipulation. You know, it's like seeing a really good looking cheeseburger from McDonald's when you're like, <laughs> that's not good. We know that that's garbage. So when, so fear, <laughs> I, I use a lot of analogies, sorry, but fear is one of those things in the dog world that, I get them all. <laughs> what's that? I, I, I get them all. Okay, cool. I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> okay. So, so there's gotta be this little like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble for mom or dad. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. Like that's gotta be, that that should exist in every healthy relationship of like fear of getting in trouble, fear of letting down, etc. So you can start implementing that, which will create a great deal of control for you guys. And I'll, let me go over a scenario. Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, we have two, okay. So we have two dogs, we have Max and Buddy and you're bringing in, uh, another dog and a relative. So that's going to be kind of chaotic. It's going to be exciting. Max and Buddy are going to build with frustration depending on their environment. That doesn't necessarily mean physical environment of in the house, in the garage, in the yard, etc. It's the environment is pretty much anything around you. What you're smelling, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, etc. Like everything is your environment. So if there's a lot of chaos going on, if there's excitement, if there's stimulation, and then there's not a lot of outlet. So dogs can get stimulated and they kind of build up like this pressure cooker. Think about that. Like dogs' minds are kind of pressure cookers at some point when they're getting fed stimulation. They need to expend it. That's why dogs will um, like grab toys and shake them up. Like if somebody comes over to the house and your dog runs over and grabs a toy and shakes it up, they're, they're, they're releasing that energy. They're releasing that stimulation. They're building, 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 and then they're trying to release it. So my point is, is relative comes in, friend's dog comes in, it's exciting, and Max and Buddy are just roaming the house, getting excited, jumping, whining, spinning. 
that is mm-hmm. that ticking time bomb that should never happen with these two. Because the only way that they know to outlet some of this behavior is to go after each other. Or one one or the other. One will go after the other. And you, we see this a lot in animal the animal kingdom in general behaviorally. Like a lot of stimulation. There's too much stimulation going on. Monkeys will just rip each other's face off. Like it's crazy how much stimulation goes into animals and what they do to outlet it with zero regard or consequences for what they do. And so if you have a very stimulant, so let's just take example what you just said. Husband's coming up the stairs. The dogs are both excited. They're jumping up and down on their front tippy toes. We're talking to them. They're excited. When you see that, it should be Max, go to your bed. Buddy, go to your bed. Or buddy, go to your crate or whatever it is to take control over the situation to make sure that these two don't, end up lighting each other on fire. Indeed. So th- there's two things with that. The, f- the biggest thing is, do you have the proper obedience to put on these dogs that are making these bad decisions? And then it's, are you understanding that doing these human-like things are creating these problems? And I know that you... I know that you know these things, but I'm trying to put it in front of you so you're more mindful. It sounds like you've consumed some of my content so you understand that the majority of dogs' problems are coming from their owners and the environments that they're setting them up in. And so when your husband's coming up the stairs and you're starting to see this excitement, instead of you going, like, because this is what humans do, is they see these dogs, we see our dogs get excited for us and it makes us feel good. And we want, like with babies, I just had a baby, right? So he's 13, so he's a little over three months. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. But like any time that he looks at us and almost smiles, we're like gassing him up to smile. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, who, you know, we're, just, we're saying every, there's things coming out of our mouths that don't even make sense just to get him to smile because we want to see it because it's cute. Like it, it's almost selfish for us to do in a way, but not for him because he's a baby and smiling is not hurtful. But my point is, is for dogs, that's what we do sometimes is we don't realize that, you know, like, oh, is that dad coming up the stairs? Like, what do we, you know, all of that stuff that we add on to get the dogs fired up and then they fight and then we're like, then we're in like tra- tragedies mode. You have to, you're like that can't, that can't exist anymore when they're together because you're just pumping that room up full of things that won't fit in that room. And then it's just going to explode on each other. Does that make sense? Now, I, it makes total sense, but there's a question. Um, if it, it kind of getting back to uh, structure and control and mm-hmm. foundation, if um, you know, we have <clears throat> family and kids, etc., coming over um, do we just preemptively okay, go in your go in your kennel until everyone goes away, or do you continue to I don't know test the water? Do you continue that, to buy? Do you? Yeah, <clears throat> that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That, that's such a good question, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Is is you have to want your dogs to succeed more than you want to see your dogs like see your friends. Like it's a, it's a very, it's, it's, it's like anything in life. Like it's going to be a challenging thing, but you have to think in your head. So it's a great question. And I talk about this all the time. You have two dogs that are basically becoming frustrated with each other because of a resource. 
And that resource right now could be attention, food, etc. Whatever. We don't know for sure, but it's definitely attention based. And they're now they're now they have tiffs. Now they have this one up type thing. And you're about to have friends and family over and things are gonna get exciting. There's a lot of things in your head that you have to go through in a checklist. And that the two things that I just said, control. Like can you send your dog to an isolated place? And if the answer is no, then you have to make sure that your dogs are crated or you have to make sure that your dogs are paying attention or like you have to set your dogs up for success. So if you're having these people over, you have to think in your mind like, yeah, I want my dogs to see my family and I want my dogs to play with my friend's dogs, but it's going to cause more damage than good. So I'm going to like, again, like, okay, Friday, my friends are coming over. I'm going to make sure Friday morning that me and my family have put in the proper exercise with these dogs to make sure that they can go and hang out in their crates or hang out in separate rooms together, hang out in the backyard, whatever, whatever. Like, that's what I mean is every family is different, but the principle and the, in the, in the ground rules are the same. So you just have to take those consider, like for an example, yesterday, it was raining yesterday morning here. And Lakota, my dog, wasn't going into work, which means she needs to be ran, that she's a dog that needs to be run. Some dogs need to be walked. Some dogs need to be run. Some dogs need to be mentally stimulated. I knew. I looked at the weather, and there was a break from the rain between like 10 and 11. So it stopped raining, and I'm like, this is my shot. I got to gas this dog out twice in this hour because it's going to rain for the rest of the day. It's a perfect example of... I have people coming over. I'm going to go out, walk these dogs, work these dogs, train these dogs, do whatever I need to do to make it fair for them. It's 4.30. My guests are coming over at 5. We're going to put them in the crates. We're going to put them in the other room, and they're going to hang out separately, and then everything is successful. But some people can't do that, and that's where I'm telling you. like, If you physically, emotionally can't make that decision because we care so much to have our dogs involved – but it exposes a very high potential of dogs fighting, then it's better to just get rid of, rehome one of the dogs. Yeah, believe you me, we've, we've talked about that. And that's just, that, that part's not only heartbreaking, but for, for Buddy, for example, right? He's the one that we uh, took, took on. Um, I, I just, you know, rehoming him and then kind of passing on his behavior uh, issues to someone else is uh, that's not fair to anyone else or buddy. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. And it's not like I, I, I don't have a, I, I guess it's just a question. I don't have a problem with kind of readjusting, um, our parameters for them. Um, I, I will ask like, for example, with your in-laws dogs, the mm-hmm. one that's um, being fostered, um, going after uh, just the one, it's just the one. What about that one? Has has he changed? Like, does he has he changed toward the other dog? Because Max is Max is never like he he gets along with everybody. Yeah, we, we watch a lot of people's dogs, and he's just you know he's on his belly and and or on his back, and he's he's just this fun-loving, goofy, mm-hmm. amazing dog. And we've never seen kind of this side of him. Yeah. Is this him, this 
potentially with every dog now because he's not that age. It could be, it could be, but it, it it's like it. It could be, but again, it's like it, it could be just the relationship had 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 a falling out for whatever. For, again, for whatever reason, I, I I don't know, you know. But I will say that the dog that is getting the, pretty much attacked, you know, and I and I told my in laws, I said, look, you don't have much more of these before the dog. Just like you were saying, like the dog that's getting pretty much the sword into the stick here is the sweetest, nicest, friendliest, goofiest, fun dog ever. And I was saying, like, you're not going to have more opportunities of this happening without this dog having serious traumatic issues. Like, that, like, because your dog is walking around. It's just like kids. And think about kids. Like, your kid's walking around the house, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the your your nephew or niece comes over and just beats the crap out of the other kid. And it's tragic for them. They're like, I thought that this was a safe place for me in my life, like to hang out in and to be happy and confident. And I didn't, you know, and especially with dogs, they didn't ask to be there. So it it, it can, it, over time, it could change the dog that's getting the short end of the stick. And um, that, but again, like, that's what I mean is you have to, the management system is, is, is what I'm saying is like, you're not doing any of that right now, other than just making sure that they don't get into a fight. And if they do, you break it up, but there's got to be a lot more structure involved to make sure that they're successful. And that's just not existing right now. Like I'd much rather have an obedient man eater than an out of control puppy. And I say that a lot, but it's because you can't do anything with an out of control, disobedient dog that loves everybody. You can't do anything. You can't walk them. You can't go anywhere because they're jumping and pulling and they're they're doing they're eating things off the table, jumping on the table, pulling, scratching people's legs, like wrapping you around a pole, like it's a nightmare. But if you have a trained dog, it doesn't matter what their behavior is. If you can say sit down, stay, heal, place, and they do it, and you advocate and control the dog's environment, you're good. You can have ten dogs in a house that don't like each other at all, but what, they listen to you. And then, like, see, here's the thing. Let me explain something to you that I think will be helpful. So there's a significant difference between pet owners, like average dog owners, and people who work with dogs professionally or working handler dogs or people who have working dogs. There's a significant difference in the mindset. There's a significant difference in how they live their lives in their ecosystem and their culture. And there's a significant difference with how the dogs are trained. So a working dog could be anything from a lab that's sniffing bombs at LaGuardia Airport, or it could be a Belgian Malinois that is doing apprehension work and dragging bad guys out of a car. But their systems and their control and their lifestyle is is a lot different. So again, like if, if I had like four Malinois that are all working, they were in rather they were in competitive sport work or they were in sport work or they were in bite work or they were in police work, whatever. And I've raised police dogs and I've raised bite dogs. I've, I've dabbled in a little bit of everything. Right. So their, their handling is going to be different. So pet dogs are like, I love you. I want a dog in my life. And they're roaming the house and they they just have a different life. Working dogs are dogs who, if left unattended or left with just making whatever decisions they want to make, are going to get into a fight because they're more aggressive naturally. 
because maybe they're not fixed or maybe they just have a lot of drive or maybe they're not socialized or maybe whatever and they're crated. So if I had four dogs and they were all working dogs in the morning, it may be a rotation of three out of four dogs don't get along. So one dog is, I have to wake up extra early to get one dog out, run that dog, put that dog away, breakfast, fresh water, second dog, same thing. And that's just the lifestyle that we live. And then maybe one day I go to work and work on one thing with one dog or the next day or whatever. And they're in a crate and rotate situation. Now I'm not saying that that's what you need to do, but I'm just saying like, there's so many people out there that are working dog handlers that raise dogs. Like they are like tools, right? They, they go back into the toolbox at night to charge. And in the morning they go out to the garage, they take them off the dock and they put them in their toolbox and they go to work, uh, or whatever. So it's, it's important for you to understand that this may be drastic for you, but understand that there's many people out there that live their lives like this every single day, which means if I have a working dog and they're not like Lakota, for an example, is a perfect example of this. My Dutch shepherd, she's going to be seven this year. She is from a working line gene pool, which means she has a lot of drive. She's very intense. She's very intense. And when I have people over, she can be a pet to some degree, which means there's a dog around the house that gets excited to see you, but she's not going to go hang out on the couch and put her, put her head on you and say like, Hey, let's just hang out here. So when I have somebody that comes over and she gets excited, I may let her greet that person for 10 seconds, but then her tail is going and she's knocking every single drink over off the table. She is harassing you to go out to play chuck it. She is pushing you to the back door, the side door, the front door to try to go out and play. And she's constantly looking at you, like pushing a toy at you. And then I would say, go to your touch and lay down. So my point is, is like, you have to have that balance of control. If you're going to have a dog that may make less than optimal uh, decisions. And it doesn't always mean aggression. Like Lakota, my dog is not aggressive but I have to have a pretty good control over her because she's so intense. And you have two dogs that are starting to not like each other or one or the other is not liking each other. So you have to have the direct control to say, this is a stimulating situation. Like you said, like we're feeding raw at night and they're both like sitting, drooling, hopping up and down, spinning, getting excited. And as that's building, one may look at the other and then boom. Or like you said, there's the toy out and one's, like you said, like, oh, all of a sudden one of them was playing with a toy and the other one went up and nailed them or whatever the context was, something like that. And I would start eliminating these possibilities. Like if you can look at a situation and say, this could be a flip, a flip of a coin, 50-50, don't don't do it. Do not put yourself in that situation. And then also make sure that if you're about to feed them, your friends are coming over, another dog's going to be around, your husband's coming home, um, whatever, that you can say, Max, go to your touch. Buddy, go to your touch. And you can control that environment because right now it's a free-for-all. Yeah, that honestly, like, we, you know, they... 
they do the sit and calm and all that before before they eat. They're in the same room but separate. Mm-hmm. I just honestly thought thought we were doing the right things. Um, you probably are, but I want to explain a very important thing. There's a difference between getting your dog into a routine and asking your dog to do something out of context and and them doing it, which means some dog owners, like what you just said, is we have this routine where the food bowls come out or the whatever, whatever, whatever the dog is conditioned to to say, hey, it's dinner time. They may do something, right? And they may go to their beds or they may go to their crates or they may do this. And that's great. That's cool. Good job. But... If one of them, like say you drop the, 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 the spoon that you feed the raw out of or whatever, and then one of them gets up, goes, ooh, you know, I'm going to lick the spoon like I did when I was a kid with the cookie, cookie batter or cookie dough or whatever, right? It's like, oh, cool. So one dog then goes after the spoon or say you dropped, you know, a piece of raw, whatever. This is my point is unless you can say, get your butt back there, you know better with with definition of like the dog's like oh crap boom they go back that's where you're going to start running into some problems is they're like hey because it's a transaction for them they're like hey we're gonna go and that's the that's the problem with having a one-way street in a transactional relationship or a positive only relationship a positive only relationship is a transactional relationship is i do something for you you pay me outside of work we're not buddies we're not friends i don't respect you i don't listen to you so if you put a dog into a place because they know they're about to get paid with raw organs and they're doing that because of that, that's good. My dog will do the same. My food bowl comes out. She runs to her crate. She pitter-patters in there and waits. I taught her that. I conditioned her that. That's where I want her to eat her dead stuff. <laughs> I don't want her around my house doing that. Cool. But you have to make sure that if out of context, say, something happens, you need to be able to say, nope, right back. Like I can recall my dog out of her crate. She'll come to me. I'll send her to her place, which is a different touch. I'll recall her back. I'll send her to her crate. I'll have her go to her touch, back to me, back to the crate and feed her. I can do everything out of context. And I find that dog owners who do this this circus of conditioning, like if you if your dogs go do that routine and then you were like, come down, sit, stay, they would be like, That's what's that? Well, I don't I don't I'm not sure of that. And that's what I want you to understand is you gotta have more control individually Got it. do you know what i mean i do because again let's say you're getting ready to feed your husband walks through the door they're like oh this whole environment just got so much better dad's here we're getting fed dad's here and then they they start jumping your husband's hey guys how are you and then they get excited and then they start looking at each other and then you go, Max, go to your place. Max is like, don't tell me what to do because I'm about to beat this crap out of Buddy or vice versa. That Those are the types of situations that you need that extra, you know, enforcement to make sure that no, no, no. That's what I mean by structure and control. I don't think that you have to live this one end, you know, one dog at one end, one dog at the other end. From what you've told me, from what you've told me, it seems like 80% of the fights that they've had have been to overstimulation and some sort of value involved or both. Yep. Which to me, as somebody who specializes in behavior, canine education, 
and human education and coaching for canines, that is like all 80% of that is 100% avoidable. Because I'm like, hey, I have two dogs that are going to have a problem with all of this stimulation going on. So you're going to go to your crate, you're going to go to your bed, or, hey, we're creating too much stimulation for these dogs at night by the bed, by the door, on the stairs, like wherever these tight spaces are. And that's where we're going to get this wet, like it's this hockey fight type of thing. I know you referenced some sort of sport earlier. So it's this hockey type mentality (laughs) where they just drop the gloves and go. And you're like, where did, well, where do these guys come from? And all of a sudden there's sticks and helmets and things all over the ice. And you're like, I didn't even see this coming. What happened? So it's the same thing that they're on the same level. You're a human. You're not. So you're not probably seeing every little, you know, little kind of like middle finger that they're giving each other potentially. And of course your other dog's just trying to like, whoever's the antagonist here, the other dog that's getting the short end of the stick is just trying to be a dog that lives with you. And it's not fair to continue to expose them to basically a bully that just pulverizes the, the other dog whenever they get excited. So you have to have that very strict balance. And it's the only way to make it fair for the dog that's getting the short end of the stick is to make sure that you can control situations. And if that means changing your lifestyle and changing your routine, again, that's what I was saying in the beginning. That's a decision. That's a, like a lifestyle decision that you and your family are going to have to think. Some people can't. They just can't. And some people can because they know that the outcome is the dog that really is just trying to live their life in your house happily is getting pulverized every three weeks. So I just, you know, to me, whenever I do these, you know, whether it's in person, on the phone, whatever, you just have to be fair and realistic. And sometimes dog owners, you know, they're like, oh, you know, it's not that bad or whatever. It's just you have to understand is like every little situation that you put your dogs into that can be kind of hairy will likely because you're putting them in that. Like you're either enabling and allowing them to be in that situation or you're putting them in that situation. Two examples are we have a friend's dog coming over. Both dogs are off leash, free range of the house. Friend's dog comes into the house. Both dogs dart to that dog to smell them, to sniff them, to see what's up. Now you have two dogs that have this spatial frustration relationship, both touching noses to this other dog. Like you're just waiting for them. Boom, done. Then it's a fight. Same thing at night. Like we're going to put both dogs on a, it doesn't matter if you have a California King, like we're going to put both dogs on the same level, sleeping three feet away from each other. And they have a problem with each other. Like those, those, and even like the whole nighttime routine, that whole thing that every family has of like getting them up the stairs, getting excited, time for bed, talking to them, creating that excitement, creating that stimulation. That is going like, where are they going to dump that? Like you're, you're unloading, like it's basically like filling somebody's jar up of water. Like where, where are they going to put that once you fill out of your, you know, do you know what I'm, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So, you, so again, some people are like, but I love my dogs and this is how I am. And I, and I don't think I'm going to be able to change. And I'm like, cool, that's great. I'm glad that you're honest with yourself. Now what you have to do is all you have to do is just say like, these dogs are not going to fit 
the, you know, one of these dogs is going to get the short end of the stick because of how I raise my dogs. And that's the same conversation I had with my in-laws. I'm like, Hey, you can't, you know, come in and go, Hey, how are you? Where are you? Where's my dogs? Where's my babies? I love you so much because there's going to be conflict between those two dogs. And if you guys can't change, then this isn't a fair environment for the dogs that get, that's getting his ass kicked basically. But again, that's like, let's rewind 50 minutes ago to the first thing I said to you of this is more of what you guys are going to be comfortable with doing realistically, because I think if you did like a crate and rotate, super control, quit the BS, correcting them when it happens, working on impulse control, lots of mental stimulation with each other, bringing them out, making sure that they're going for heels, making sure they're going for walks. Um, like those are things that have to happen. Indeed, the uh, the work the work has to happen. Yeah, but here and I I'm talking a lot, but I I just want to be clear that the good thing the the good thing about what your situation again is you haven't put gas in the engine that won't start meaning like you haven't even begun to create a healthy boundary type of situation in your house like and taking it seriously yet so once you start doing that you're gonna see amazing changes like you're gonna see a big difference in the behavior of the dogs you're going to see a big difference in your control, your confidence, the relationship. It's that structure that they're, that they need. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> Got to do the work. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's not like, you know, what's hard for me. I'll tell you what's hard for me. What's hard for me is when clients come to me and they, and I'm, I have, you know, a whole thing of like things that dog owners have to do in order to create success over experiences and trial and error. It's hard when dog owners come to me and they've done it. This isn't rare. Or I mean, this isn't, this is a rare thing, but it does happen is when they've tried everything and it's still not working. That's hard. Cause I'm like, you know, you, you know, you're, you're running out of options here, but you haven't really begun the process to make things better which you, you know, you'll see huge results. You're like I'm cold. I'm like, Hey, put on a jacket. You're like, Oh wow. I feel so much better. You know? So just understanding that these dogs may not like each other ever again. And your job is to make sure that they're healthy and at a healthy state where they can spend time with each other out on the leash with you and your family and whatever. That's cool. They're not, they shouldn't have any problems with that. But you have to understand that the more stimulation, the more you gas them up and the more you get them like worked up, they have nowhere to dump that. And they have now figured out that I'm going to just take all this out on the other dog. And sometimes this is just a simple case of redirection. That's all it is, is some dogs will redirect out of frustration to the other dog that's next to them because they don't know where to dump that energy. And the other dog just gets it. And you, you as a dog owner, think it's a fight and it's not. The other dog just doesn't know what else to do. We see this a lot with terriers. 
Terriers are very prey-driven, hunt-driven, chase-and-kill type of animals. That's why they were bred. Rat terriers, uh, Jack Russell terriers, Scottish terriers, Wheaton terriers. I mean, these dogs are just killers. Pit bull terriers, etc. And they'll be out on a leash and they'll get really frustrated maybe because they're reactive to other dogs or whatever. And they'll just go after the dog next to him and shake him. And you know, you're freaking out. The dog, the other dog is freaking out, but it actually has nothing to do with their relationship. It's because the other dog just doesn't have any outlet of dumping that. And it's overlooked because you just see it as a fight when really the, and, it, and I'm not saying that's what's happening. It's just, it, just think about some of these blending things that could be happening. Because that could be a factor, you know? Yeah, it makes total sense. All of it. And like you said earlier, probably, you know, the <clears throat> hearing, hearing some of the things that, um, yeah, makes total sense. But, uh, yeah, need to do the work, need to um, kind of change it up, you know, how you think you're doing mm-hmm. it right. But um, it's good to it's good to kind of have that um, different set of eyes. So yeah, I appreciate everything. Yeah, it's just you know I have a I have a um, uh, I don't know I have a, a kind of a different approach and different uh, eye for things. And a lot of people like just think, oh, you know, my dogs are fighting and going after each other when. You know, it could be that, but it's also, I mean, there's reasons this is happening. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, with, uh, with um, I mean, I guess the resource stuff, uh, that that was one thing. But um, when it just, uh, you know, when, they, when they're playing, but it just escalates or when they're right. doing the other stuff, um, you, and, and you, I guess you're not in their head, so doesn't make the same sense to you um, mm-hmm. when the frustration happens because of course you, you know, yeah uh, yeah it takes yeah it takes time um, you know you just you just have to make sure that you're understanding that these and, and this is the other thing too about like the difference between a professional and a pet owner that's why it's hard um, like in New York State right now they're well in a lot of different states and different countries people are trying to ban different dog training tools because they're dog lovers. They have no idea that they're going to be killing more dogs if they take away the tools that are helping behavior modification dog trainers work with those dogs who need him, you know, in the control or even just, you know, a, a young female goes out and buys a St. Bernard and can't control him and you ban a brown collar and now she can't walk her dog anymore. So it, it comes down to emotion over facts and reality and understanding that dogs are animals they are killers they can be killers i should say there's dogs that would rather just sleep on the couch all day but these are dogs that will go out and just kill things and they will eat rabbit poop and they will roll in dead skunks and they yes they love us and we have this empathy and this care for them and i've dedicated my whole adult life to studying them and watching them. And I continue to learn every day from them. I've worked with wolves. I've worked with coyotes. I work with wolf dogs. I've worked with behavior dogs. I've worked with, I've worked with so many different classes of animals and canine world that overall the thing that 
we need the most of is balance. Like dogs and canines in general don't do well with the freedom of doing whatever they want. And neither does most animals and definitely humans don't. Like we just, if we don't have structure, rules, boundaries, you know, there's got to be some sort of tax involved with like, hey, if this is what we got to do. And you got to remember that, yes, they're playing and they may like having a good time. And that's what's making you have a hard time with this is you're getting, you're thinking too emotionally. You're like, oh, they loved each other. And you're thinking of these two dog, these two dogs, like two kids that were sitting around with Tinker Toys, like playing and having a good time that you fostered both or you rescued both from a foster home or a bad situation in a different country. That's not these dogs. These dogs are just like, they don't, they're animals and they will try to kill their other pack mate at any given time if for whatever reason they decide to change. And it's just, we get so caught up in trying to fix something that's never going to be fixed that we we miss on the progress that we can make the realistic progress that we can make and i see that all the time and it's you know i i get it right like i love dogs like i would like I, that's why i've been saying to my wife that you know i'd love another pet because at the end of the day i just want to like lay on the couch by the fire with a pet and just cuddle with and kiss on and them just roll on their back and sit there for five minutes on their back with their floppy ears. I don't, I have a Dutch shepherd. She's not, she's not that dog, you know? So I I totally understand. And I'm not trying to say that I don't show signs of love and compassion towards animals like the pet owners I'm discussing and talking about, but I also, here's the balance. Here's the important part. I do understand what they're capable of and I do understand what they can do. And that's what allows me to be successful in my career as well is somebody comes in, a family comes in, you you call me and you're like, hey, I love my dogs. I'm like, I get that. I mean, I told you earlier in this conversation, you seem like a very nurturing, caring person. So I, I know it's hard for you to like, can't we just not fight anymore? Like, I, I wish that that was a thing. But, you know, my job is to say, hey, look, I know you care. I know you love your dogs. They love you back, but they're savages. And now we have to say, okay, it's kind of like if you can't play nice, you can't play at all. So now you guys are getting controlled more. There's more rules. There's more boundaries. It's just now we have to buckle down, tighten up the bootstraps a bit, and make sure that these guys are successful. And like my friend Will says, leadership is love. And don't be afraid to give them more boundaries and structure to make their lives better and safer. Because, again, dog owners same thing with correcting they're like i don't want to correct my dog i'm like well then don't complain about the behavior they're doing that you don't like fair enough <laughs> you know no if i honestly if if i had a gazillion dollars i would love i would love to foster dogs and rescue same no kill and all that good stuff um i just i, I wish i was born on a farm and had that mentality and i don't i'm city girl that, um, you know, just oh, la 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 with dogs and animals in general. And, uh, and, and yeah, I just, I need to wise up so that I can just take help it my own, let alone everybody else's. Yeah. Just take it more seriously and buckle down and don't be afraid to really make sure that they, they understand like, Hey, I love you guys, but tough love now like and that starts with on the leash like getting back down to control in general you know like every single person that comes into my facility that you see on my youtube that has 
you know, like, I mean, just watch my YouTube, like every, unless it's a dangerous situation. And sometimes even then they're like, Hey, my dog has a bite history. My dog is reactive. My dog doesn't like anybody. My dog barks at everybody. You know, I hear it. I'm like, all right, let me see you work your dog. And they, they literally can't get their dog to sit. They can't get their dog to heal for four seconds. They can't do anything. I'm like, you guys, <laughs> I get it, right? But you guys can't even do anything. Like, how how are we going to work on this very advanced, complex behavioral relationship issue if your dog can't even do the alphabet? Like, I can't talk. I can't do any of this yet. So that's why I do. I'm like, all right, first we're going to work on leash pressure. Then we're going to work on impulse control and thresholds, which means holding your dog accountable when you say sit. The dog can't get up in three seconds because they got a cookie. The dog has to sit for three hours until you say, okay, break. That mentality right there is the reason why your dog is reactive. That mentality right there is the reason why your dogs are fighting is because, again, if you have two dogs that don't like each other, but one, they're both really obedient, you can do anything. So just think about that. Like you got to get back down to the ground, the ground rules. My no bad dog Kickstarter course may be really great for you. I don't know if you've looked into that or not, but it basically goes over the foundation of what dogs should know before you work on anything behavioral related. They have to know these things first. And it teaches you how to do thresholds and impulse control and the basics. And that's online? Yeah, it's on my website or on my... um. It's kind of interesting right now. I, for some reason, it's not on my normal website. But if you go to my um, if you go to my link tree, which is linktree slash Tom Davis, um, or it's on my Instagram, you can just click my uh, my bio link. It's just under courses. Mm-hmm. But I created that course because so many people like I, my specialty is behavior. Like I don't do puppy stuff. I don't do competitive obedience. I don't do that stuff. It's like if you have a problem, I can probably help you. And I realized that so many people were calling me with these advanced problems, but they couldn't crawl. They're like, hey, I want to run the Boston Marathon with my – that's that's the ask that was happening. I want to run the Boston Marathon. You're the best trainer. But I haven't walked in years. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, we got to start somewhere. And that course is like a – we're actually going to make sure that when people sign up for my online consulting that they understand that the majority of the – problems that they're dealing with can be, be solved or significantly helped by just watching how to do that course. It's basically just how to take it, how to, how to take, take over with your dog. So they're not walking all over you, which is the reason why most dogs have behavior problems. Ding right there. I like it. It's a lot. My suggestion to you, let me give you homework. You ready? I am. Okay. Are they crated ever? Just the last three days. Yeah, we we <laughs> put the crates away since they were puppies. Okay. How are they in, doing in the crates? Oh, fine. Okay. So my suggestion is to work on the crating, like a crate and rotate often. What this does, it, and so oftentimes people think that crating is a place for punishment, a place for when we leave, or a place for when we're eating dinner and we don't want the dog on the dinner table. The crate is one of those options that you can say, hey, you're going to go over here and you're going to be away from me for as long as I say, and the dog should just go. They need to learn how to, to deal with themselves. They need to learn how to be alone. 
I had a client that came in recently for my out-of-state program, and we have these little impact crates in my studio, which are awesome. And literally, like, I was like, let's just, and it was a small little chihuahua dog. I said, let's just, has he ever been in a crate? She said, no. I said, let's go put him in the crate. We put him in there, and as she was walking away, she's like, well, is he going to be okay? I'm like, what do you? I was like, we're, we're not putting him in the middle of Times Square. I'm like, he's fine. There's nothing going on in here. Well, is, is he going to be sad? I'm like, that that is, that's it. Like, that's that's the reason why your dog has these issues is because you won't do the very basic thing of like, you need to go be away from me for a little bit. So creating, creating them will create this self-worth, self-confidence type of thing. It could be, and, and change it. Do it for two minutes do it for 30 minutes, do it for five minutes, just change it up. Hey, go to your crate. And it's, and again, the micro is your dog going into a crate that you know they're going to be safe in. The bigger picture is two things is when somebody comes over or there's a stressful situation or a high stimulating situation that could happen or is happening. You can, you can send your dog to a crate that will stop or halt any type of potential buildup between your dog and the other the two dogs max and buddy but it also just says hey i'm in charge i want you to go to your crate and the dog's gonna be like but dad's home or but we're getting fed or but the leash is out whatever you need to be able to just say this is what you're doing and sometimes you have to go back if they get excited in that crate they can get excited in the crate but here's the thing is when you're letting them out that door becomes the gatekeeper of you can't get out of the crate until I release you. Micro macro, you kneel down to the crate, you open the gate, you should be able to say stay, you open the door, the dog patiently just looks at you and then you say break and then the, the dog comes out. But right now what's probably happening is you walk up towards the crate, the dog's going, the crate's going nuts, you know, pitter-patter, spinning, whining, excited. And I don't know for sure. I'm just saying this is what typically happens, right? We open the crate door, the dog just barrels out. So you just want to make sure that you have that impulse control. Any time that you can use impulse control is a good muscle to exercise and flex to keep your dog in check. And you need to keep your dogs in check. They need to know that you are running the show. If your dogs are fighting actively multiple times in front of you, again, it's the same behavior that you would see two siblings fist fighting in front of their parents. No respect, no care in the world that they're going to get in trouble. And in fact, there is no trouble. There is no boundaries. There is no consequence. Like if there was consequence, we wouldn't be doing this in front of you. (laughs) See what I'm saying? So you just got to start creating these boundaries. So putting the leash back on, holding them accountable for things. So put the leash on, Max sit. He may sit, he may look for a treat. You can even pay him, good sit, boom. Holding that sit until you break him, it has to be on your terms. It's getting back down to, you don't just do, you have to ask for permission first. Hold my hand before we cross the road to go to Disneyland. I know what you want. I know you're done with this. You wanna get there, you gotta wait. Same thing with the food bowl. This is something you'll do separately, completely out of sight from the other dog. Put some food in a food bowl, put your dog into a sit, and then break your dog randomly to the food bowl. You're just going to walk around the food bowl. Sit, good sit, and then break the dog. You're constantly keeping the dog in check to make sure that you're you're kind of 
not teasing them, but you're providing them an opportunity of something they really want. Sometimes it's rushing out the front door. Sometimes it's rushing out of the crate. Sometimes it's hitting the kibble right when it hits the bowl. Sometimes it's, there's so many things that you just need to say, hey, pay attention to me. Okay, now you can have it. Right? That's what you want to do. Like, what's that? I said, I absolutely right. That's, that's where we're going to kind of get back to. But here's, here's the important thing. Okay. Don't miss this. Even if you're like, Hey, we already do some of this stuff. If you're not holding the dog accountable, A and B switching up the routine or the exercise, it, 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 it doesn't work. You're, you're, you're wasting your time. Because again, if you, so again, let me explain. Max sit, Max goes into a sit, you throw a piece of kibble, Max gets up, you put him back into a sit. You throw another piece of kibble, Max gets up, you put him back into a sit. You could do that until the sun disappears out of the universe. But if you're not correcting him so he learns not to get up unless there's consequences until you release him when you throw the food, it doesn't matter. So that's important because a lot of people, what, what I'm telling you right now is in your head, you're like, oh, we do this, but you do it off leash or whatever. Like you have to make sure that the dog is getting held accountable and there's a consequence for blowing you off and just doing whatever they want. That's, that's the deal. The other thing is making sure that when you're doing any of these thresholds and stuff that you're switching it up. You don't want to do like, oh, again, like you said, like we do this raw food routine for the last two years, switch it up. Like make the dog go into a different place, make the dog go into a down, make the dog sit in a random place in the house. Just make sure like that you are switching up your variables to make sure the dogs are sharp and they're listening to you and they're not in a routine because routines don't, I mean, it's good to have, it's nice, especially for a dog without any behavioral problems. Like my dog, like she goes to her crate when I get the food out. Cool. If I was having a problem in our relationship, I would be, again, she goes to her crate. I'd say, you come, she'd come to me. I'd say, touch. I'd say, down. I'd say, sit. I'd say, come, down, sit. I'd go put her food in her crate. I'd recall her off the crate. I would do all these different things, and then I'd send her to a crate to make sure, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, here's here's your reward. See you later. That's what you need I'd to do. To 50 times. Say it again. I'd have to clean the floor 50 times. Max has the Bernese. So <laughs> yeah, he's drooling all over the place. Do it outside. Yeah, you could do it outside too or, you know, in the driveway. Like that, that's what I'm saying is like don't don't make your – get creative. I want you to make your world big. Like go bring bring Max out on a leash and on a walk and do this. Like bring kibble. Bring, uh, you know, if you're doing cooked uh, meals in the in the morning – Put it in a treat pouch, put it in a bag, then put it in a treat pouch and go out and make him work for his entire food outside. You just want to make sure you have control. You're like, hey, okay, fine. Hey, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, you guys don't like each other anymore? Tough cookies. You're living with each other and you're going to listen to me. You don't have to cuddle. You don't have to kiss. You don't have to sleep on the couch together, but you are not going to fight each other because I'm in charge and that's what matters. Right now, you need to enforce that. That's not happening. You need to do it on a daily to make sure these dogs that live with you, these, these animals that live with you, understand regardless of their feelings towards each other, you are in charge. And there's consequences for going after each other. And there's consequences for not listening. And you're pressing that hard to make yeah. sure that they know that. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. See? That's the spirit. So work on that. 
And then, you know, um, next steps for you again, uh, you could, you could do this again with me. Um, but my suggestion at a cheaper route is to get the no bad dog Kickstarter course, which goes over my principles of like, Hey, every dog should know these things before you even complain about behavioral work. And, uh, also it, it goes over the things I'm saying, like reinforcing the thresholds and doing sit and stay and all that stuff. So anyway, I'm looking at that and I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Okay. Nope. Every, every time. No problem. That's what I, thank you uh, so much. This is such a, I mean, it, it really, it's uh, it's an honor to speak with you and I thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, you know, and, and I, I appreciate it just as much because, you know, I, I want to help dogs and the fact that you can call me or I can call you and then I can give you the information to help your dogs. That's all I care about. So I, I appreciate it just as much. Thank you, Tom. All right. Good all luck back to you and your beautiful family. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yo, guys, uh, you've reached the, I wanted to change it up from, all right, you guys, you reached the end of the podcast, but yeah, you did. You reached in the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I personally like, I love clients like this. She knows she needs help. She knows that she can do it. She wants to hang on to her dog. She wants these guys to be successful. Um, she seems like such a nice person. And so, uh, I, I think, you know, again, like the relationship between her and I, I feel like there was so much good information going into this podcast because she just allowed me to continue to build her up. All right, you guys, the first question comes from CS0261, Littermates, five-star review. I have just started listening to your podcast, and I'm so excited. I love how much emphasis there is on the person rather than the dog. It really makes me rethink everything I'm doing. The question is that I have two German Shepherd puppies that are both seven months old. I've had them since they were five weeks old. Guy selling them obviously didn't care about them. I've been working with them separately, training them separately with the clicker, but I'm struggling a bit because I'm using their food for training first, then treats after they finish. They're daily food, but they aren't very food-driven at all. Very toy-driven, high prey drive. How can I train them with such low food drive? I would just, and I think I answered this last podcast, but I'll answer it again. Um, When you have a low food drive dog, just use a toy. Like use a ball, like create, I, I do want to make a video on how I did a video recently with this German Shepherd, but, and I am pretty sure I answered this last time. So forgive me guys who are listening, but create, I'll just talk about it a little bit because it'll be different for you guys is just create very, very, very controlled impulse control with the ball. Everyone gets a ball or a toy out and they immediately hold it up in the air and the dog jumps for it. Get your leash on your dog, get the ball or whatever you're using out and then as soon as your dog goes for it, correct him. Say, no, that's not yours. Like I can hold the ball right in Lakota's nose. She won't touch it until I break her. That's the control you want. Get your dog worked up. Like go to my Instagram and look at the video I did with Kite, the German Shepherd that I used the uh, long line with. Start working on that and then build your dog up um, with that control. And that's a great way to use, like you don't have to use treats. Treats are helpful, but that's what I would do. Just get a ball get him working on that. The Herm Springer balls that we have on our website are amazing. I would suggest that. All right, guys. Uh, that's, that's a good one. Here comes another one. Dragon Wings 121. Excellent podcast. Tom, I want to thank you for your podcast. It has saved my dog. I have worked hard on what you've talked about in your podcast with advice you give other owners with aggressive dogs. It's helped my family and my dog's relationship in my family. 
I'm still tentative about bringing him around my elderly father, not because he's done any bad behaviors over a year, but because I'm still hesitant to bring him over to my father's house. I believe I am overreaching. I want to give you a heartfelt thank you. I love dogs and I love my dog. So when he bit another person and me in my house, I didn't have the heart to stop trying with him. I had an injury that had had me off work for a few months, but put some quality work in with him to show him love. I think the most significant difference came when I wouldn't allow him on the bed and became very strict with enforcing bad behaviors that wouldn't be allowed. He is now loving. He is a lot more loving and he's flowered around humans and strange contact. I have pushed a I haven't pushed a stranger on him just in case I use the muzzle with him and I don't believe it necessarily anymore. He had been in a puppy mill and a friend uh, gave him to me. So, um, I can't say this enough. They've changed. Uh, I appreciate it so much, uh, from every angle. Great. It's rewarding. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, my dog is now living. Uh, there's a lot more to this, but it's just a great review. My dog is loving obedient dog now. So it's amazing. Let's get on to the next one. Juno ML, my seven month old puppy is Benji and part American staff terrier. I wanted to educate myself on her breeds, tendencies, needs, but I'm struggling to find what information, where do you recommend looking into breeds? Good question. Um, I, what I would do is, I mean, if I were you, I mean, I'm just thinking on the fly. I would just go to face, like try to find Facebook groups. Like I, or just groups in general. I think Facebook's like a decent place to find like those very um, specific groups. Um, but that's what I would do is like find groups, find clubs that are like working with these dogs and just try to figure out what other people are doing, the success that they have. Um, that's my best piece of advice. So it's a good question. And that's what I would recommend. So I wish you the best of luck for that. All right, let's get into the next one. We're going to do one more, and then I have to go to my members club and do a live with them. Ryan Bricks, Car Reactivity. Hi, Tom. I've enjoyed your podcast and have added it to my training tool belt when it comes to our boy Moose. Moose is an abused rescue, Sharpay, and Bloodhound mix, and a whole lot of love. Need I say more? We have, we have come a long way with our sweet two-year-old boy. The training never stops. Our newest challenge is car reactivity. He now gets very anxious. When we drive past farms, especially cows and horses, we have tried the e-collar, doggy seatbelt, treats, corrections, but nothing has worked. Um, we purchased the reactivity spray. It seems to scare him, um, so he stops barking. We have tried to desensitize him to cows and horses, but nothing has helped. Um, it's like he tries to track them, and he lets out a blood bloodhound bay in the car. He knows commands quite well. Um, I don't know. This is a weird situation. The, m Ryan, my suggestion is to literally continue to desensitize. I mean, I'd be desensitizing. I would go and park that car next to a farm and work on this for a long period of time. Um, that's the only way I think you're going to get better is be is to desensitize it. Um, so if you're just driving by, think about the accumulative time that you've actually spent on the dog working on that particular thing, which is very little right? You're driving by, which is like 30 seconds, 10 seconds from what you've told me, from what I understand in the context, I would go park that sucker as close as you can to, uh, you know, a farm and start working on it. Make sure you're just rewarding the dog when they do good. And for me, I just think the next step once they do well is to get out of the car and then just keep making it better and just keep teaching the dog that these animals in these situations are okay. I'm assuming it's a, uh, you know, maybe an abuse case from a farm situation. I don't know. All right, next one, Olivia Bonner. This is actually the last one, guys. So 
Make sure if you guys are listening to this and you want me to answer your questions, head over to the iTunes review chart because I'm out of questions for the first time in a long time. All the trainers that I've taken, my Husky mix too, are positive reinforcement only. They have never hold the dog accountable, which is great if, you, if your dog always listens. That's a good, decent, valid point. But Huskies don't always listen. Not every dog always listens. I don't know a dog that does that. Anyway, he is one-year-old Husky, and I've taken him to group class where I've been told to only walk him on a harness, but I showed up with the prong collar because that's how I know he will actually listen to me. I love your videos and the combination of the group classes and your videos, uh, and my dog is happily well-trained. Thank you, and I'm happy that my dog is better. I'm a leader for my dog. Amazing. Love it. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. See you on tour. Let's do it. Woo!